The scripture text for Dr. Hunter's sermon is taken from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one, and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross." by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and are of God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And now, here's Dr. Hunter. You are, uh, you're going to have to put forth some effort to understand this one, okay? I, uh, my wife, who is very kind but very honest with me, uh, came to service last night and she said, uh, Hunter, uh, you're still working on that one, aren't you? <clears throat> and I said, what didn't you understand? And about 15 minutes later, I thought, well, okay, we need to revise this a little bit. But I, I do want you to work with me because I've got some technical aspects, some left brain aspects, and some right brain aspects, okay? And first I want to speak to you technocrats that love details, I got so fascinated, so, character, uh, so carried away with the structure of this thing that, uh, that, I, that I went in way too much detail last night. Uh, but, but I still want to go in some, and then, and then uh, um, we'll, we'll talk to you visionaries. Remember where we are in this series. Remember that we are talking about the restoration of the avenues of purpose in Jesus Christ. The avenues that God gave us in the Garden of Eden. Remember that there came a time when God decided that an avenue of purpose in our life would be love. In Genesis 2.18, it says that God looked at man and he said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. But you also remember that after the fall, it wasn't, it wasn't three seconds after they ate that fruit that they started blaming each other for it. God came just, and, and uh, well, it might have been three seconds, but you know, it's right then at the same time, they're hiding behind the bushes, and God comes and says, what have you done? And they both start pointing at each other. Their fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. See? Um, you know that there was enmity created in that relationship, and you know that that passed down to Cain and Abel, and then passed down from Cain to Lamech, who said, you know, I've, been, I've killed scores of men. So there has been a record of hostility in the world. Now, we come to the Ephesians passage. And Christ has not only 
restored the relationship to us as individuals that we talked about last week. He has not only said in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, look, you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. But you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand that you should walk in them, okay? So that is Christ's solution to your individual journey. He has a plan for your life, an exact plan for your life. But he not only has a plan for your life, he has a plan for your relationships. And that's the next section that comes in Ephesians. Now let's take a look at that section, and let me show you what, what, I, what gets me excited. As God shows how to balance our relationships. You, you know, he made us to be with people. In German it's called mitzin. It's a, it's a being with quality. And we have everything from the need to find one person to answer all of our emotional needs and be our God almost, to, uh, I'm signing off, people. That's it, man. I'm just facing straight ahead, going to get what I can along the way, but not really going to form any relationship, strong relationship with anybody. How does God help us balance those two extremes? Well, let me show you. This is so neat. I've I've talked to some of you about this before, but but, uh, bear with me. Let's start with verse 11, and I want you if, you, if you're reading along in your Bible, to feel free to mark it up, because this is God's letter to you, and you can just kind of write your own notes in the, in the, in the, uh, the margins. Every once in a while, I've got to get a new Bible, because I can't read it anymore. I've marked all over the place. Watch how this, watch how this is developed in a chiastic structure. Remember what chi, chi is the Greek letter resembling an X. And in that resemblance, everything comes to the point or crux of the X. And everything proceeds from that point. I believe all of history is chiastic in structure. I believe that everything leads to the birth of Christ, his ministry and his resurrection. And everything leads differently away from there. I also believe that in the life of believers, everything leads to Christ and everything leads differently away from there, including the style and the content of their relationships. Now, let's, let's, let's look at this. In verse 11, Therefore remember, formerly you Gentiles in the flesh, very important word, who are called uncircumcision by uh, the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Now, those of you who are brand new to Christianity and Judaism, you will need to know that Circumcision, you know what circumcision is, just from a medical standpoint. Circumcision was the symbol of cutting the foreskins of the male to symbolize the covenant of God. And what it became was a man-made religiosity. All right? Therefore, you have religion by the effort and design of men. All right? Now, read along with me. Remember, verse 12, it means keep on remembering, that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded, the, the, the Greek word uh, is alienated or aliens, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, remember that word, and brought near, remember those words, by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. Remember that phrase. 
and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. See, all of this is going. You're starting off just with man-made religion. You're strangers. You're being brought near. You are being... Okay, you, you, get, to, you get to drift here. Verse 14, you're almost to the center. Both groups into one and broke down the dividing barrier, the dividing wall. Now here's the center right here. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity or the hatred, which is the law and com- of commandments contained in the ordinances, that, here's the center. In himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. Now everything proceeds from here in a different manner. It's a, reflect- it's a reflection of what was before, but it's very different. Now, and, and, the, and, the, and the more it goes on, the, the more different it gets. Watch this. This is so exciting. I love this little stuff. Uh, look at verse 14 and verse 16. They match almost in, in phraseology and content. Verse 14 says, who made both groups into one. Verse 16 says, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. Now, look at verse 13 and verse uh, 17 and 18. But now in Christ Jesus it says in verse 13, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. Verse 17 says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. See how it's changed now? God's doing... In the front part, we're being pulled, we're being brought, but it's because in the second part, we want to recognize that God is the one who has come to us. Now, uh, read some more with me. Look in verse um, 12, the verse before that. Uh, Remember that you at that time separate from Christ, aliens are excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Now come down to verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God. You see how different it is? We used to be strangers. We are not only no longer strangers, we're fellow citizens. We're in the household of God. Now go back to the first verse. And here you go way out, way different. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, and he talks about a religion in the, in, the, in the last part, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Now look how different it is in verses 20 through 22. Having been built, that's a passive verb. That's not an, we're not doing the building. God's doing the building. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, I'll, I'll come back to that, or, or the cornerstone, I'll come back to that in a minute, in whom the whole building being fitted together, again, it's not us, it's something that God is doing, and the verb tense indicates it's, a, it's a, an ongoing and progressive work. It's getting better, or it's going on, okay? It's growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built... Again, it's indicative, uh, passive, uh, into a dwelling, the house of God for the Spirit. In other words, not only does God knock down the wall, but he begins to build a building where all of us fit together. Now watch this. Christ is the cornerstone. Here's the key. If you don't get anything else, get this. Christ is the key because he is the cornerstone. And in this new building, in this new life, everything aligns with him. A cornerstone was something that was put 
at the corner of any particular building. And it was so important because every stone laid after that, whether it be horizontal or vertical, had to be aligned with that cornerstone. So therefore, the Bible is saying that all of your relationships from now on, in order to have the character of Christ, need to be aligned with him, whether they be with people or with God, because he's the cornerstone. And very simply, that is the tremendous alternative that you have that you didn't have before Christ died for you on the cross. Now, now I've taken care of you technocrats. Now let's go to the visionaries. Let me give you a full picture of this side of that X, of the chaos that was out here. It's a, it's a, it's a picture that you see continually in the Old Testament about wars, about enmity, about hatred. Most relationships are conducted outside of Jesus Christ by virtue of conflict. And all relationships without Jesus Christ are not founded on what is solid. They are founded on, listen to this, political and emotional detente. In other words, we form relationships but they are really political and emotional alliances. I will have a relationship with you if I can get a certain thing out of it. If I can have, be emotionally rewarded, if I, if I can keep some power and so on and so forth. In other words, I've got to have a payoff in this relationship. And that's where I line it up. I line it up according to my needs. And that's what you see in Scripture. And that, what, by the way, is the character of the relationship and why there's so much conflict. He keeps talking about enmity. Conflict, listen to this, is a form of intimacy. It's an upside-down form of intimacy. You want to know why people fight so much? It's because people honestly believe two things about fighting. First of all, they believe that that's how they can most effectively get your attention. They think, and, and maybe this is right, maybe this is correct, that even if you are so angry with them you can't see straight, at least your attention is fully on them. So they push your button. So they can have your attention. And the second thing that makes fighting so attractive is because it gives a sense of power. Look at what I did to them. Wow! So most relationships are based upon political-emotional alliances with the character of conflict. Now, that's upside down. And so therefore, those relationships will not be ultimately rewarding for us. All relationships like that outside of Christ will fade in their meaning because that's not what we were made for. We are only, since we got cast off from Eden, drifting with the illusion and the mirage of having real relationships outside of Jesus Christ. Emily Dickinson is one of my favorite poets. And she wrote this, I many times thought peace had come when it was far away. As wrecked men deem they sight the land in the middle of the sea. And struggle, slacker, only to prove as hopelessly as I, how many the fictitious shore 
before the harbor lie. Do you understand that relationships outside of Jesus Christ look like they're solid? But they're only as solid as the emotional state or the political aspirations of the people involved. Those are fictitious shores. They are mirages and they can fade. Now let me tell you the tremendous difference objectively that the life of Jesus Christ made. Because if relationships are to survive, they must survive by the objective power of a third party. Or you're in there all alone. If you, let me say that again. If relationships survive, if they are to have stability, they are to have stability on the basis of a third party or you're in there all alone. And all that you have to trust in is yourself or another person. And that is an unstable entity, as you know. Joe Torres, who was the manager for the Cardinals, it was suggested to him when he took over that big league position, that big league's manager spot, that he, that he managed from the press box. Because up there you can see everything so much plainer. And Joe waved it off and he said, no, that would never work. And they said, why? And he said, because you can't see their eyes from up there. When Jesus Christ came down, it was a, it was a, it was a statement to us, God's not going to manage the universe from up there. Because he can't see your eyes. God's going to manage the universe from right here. And he's going to stare in our face and he's going to give us his character for our relationships so that all of our relationships can be lined up with him. And so he's present right now. And he's saying, I'll help you. You're not in this all alone. I'll help you. Now the first two helps you get are these. Number one, if you have the confidence of your salvation in him, you have your basic need met for worth. And you don't have to get it from another. You don't have to suck another person dry emotionally and say, please, tell me I'm important. Please, build me up. You've got it met. There was a, there was a kid in, in student council elections at middle school. They had the elections this week. And I heard about some of the speeches. And there was this little kid who got up here and just tears your heart out. He got up there and he says, this is sixth grade. I've been trying to get on student council for three years. He said... He said, the only people I can get to vote for me are myself and Chris over there. I really want to be on it. They would tear you up, you know. But you know what? That's how pitiful most people are. They're walking around going, give me your vote. Tell me I'm neat. Tell me I'm worth something. And we're only endowed with the confidence that we can get by somebody else telling us how good we're doing. God never meant us to live like that. With that basic uh, assumption that we needed to get elected to some sort of worth, there's only one vote that counts, and it's God's vote. And if you've got God's vote in Jesus Christ, you are elected to student council for life. This is good news. You never have to run again. You are a child of God. You have access to Him. You have the life of Jesus living in you, and therefore, you can be confident in your relationships. That lack of confidence is what destroys most relationships because you don't get the stuff you think you need. Number two, God himself builds the relationships. It's not just up to us. We don't have to, we don't have to do everything. 
we need to pay attention to what Christ would do in a relationship. But it's God beyond our efforts that builds the character of Christ's love into us and therefore transplants that character into the relationships that we have. I taught a, a Bible study this week at a men's Bible study group, and afterwards the, we sat at the tables and discussed some questions, and one of the guys at the table, at our table, was an OBGYN guy who just delivers babies, basically. And, and he said, you know, I can't quite connect... Um, what God's doing with my work, all, all I do really basically is he said, I, God's given me a sense of discernment so that I I know if something's not operating according to Hoyle in a pregnancy. But, he said, 95% of the time, my job is to watch these young mothers come in, look at their bellies and go, yep, God's doing it just like he always does. You're fine. So that they can walk out with confidence. He said, that's my job. You know what? When, when we counsel people, that's, a, that's, what, that's what our job is. It's to say, you know what? You're not weird. You're not crazy. You know, God's in this thing. You're not in there alone. God's in this thing. He's developing His plan in you according to His time. Be confident. It's going according to Him. In, in Philippians 6, you know, he is completing what he has begun in you. So therefore, in our relationships, when we know God, we can see that this is not just some uh, bump in the road that's going to wreck our lives. We can see God's hand in that relationship where it is right now and how he is going to develop it from there. That means everything. That's a whole different thing. You don't have to fight anymore. You can be at peace. He establishes peace by putting you together, by saying, look, you didn't just stumble on each other. I'll put you together. i got a plan for your relationship. Now, let me just close with a few observations. Don't get excited that I said the word close. Remember, I said a few observations. You're looking at a preacher here. You're not looking at... Number one, in order to operate, I know most of your, most of when you listen to this, you think of your most intimate relationships right away and what God's doing in them. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I want you to know God's given you a whole host of relationships. And there are a few things that you need to remember in order to align yourself with Christ. The first thing you need to remember is that although God gives you relationships in all of the world, that you are not of the world. Now, please don't translate that in your mentality to saying then those other relationships aren't important. Yes, they are. God put you in every one of your relationships because they are important. And you will be salt and light in those relationships because God has a plan for you in those relationships, no matter what those other people do. So every relationship God gives you is important and is an avenue of potential ministry. But don't get discouraged if other people never come around to where you are because that's not your business. 
And because ultimately, with most of our relationships out there, it's not we're not going to see a great deal of fruit because we live in a world that's deteriorating. I walked through the living room this week and they had a talk show on, Oprah Winfrey. Holy cow, have you seen talk shows lately? I mean, they are literally visual freak shows. It's like Carnival City. They get the weirdest things on there you can imagine. You go, what? You know, you just go, do I live in this world? What's happening here? I mean, strange stuff. Well, this was, um, I think, a very pertinent issue for once. It wasn't just what's usually on there. But I think a pertinent issue. And they had a group of mothers who had experienced the murder of their children by other children who had guns and just came and they were just shooting. And and Oprah said something that was that just struck me for some reason. She said, you know what? The day of the fist fights is over. And it just it just hit me that what she says is true. We are deteriorating into such a savage society that kids think nothing of just coming up and if they if they don't like the way you look, just go bang. And there's nothing up here. I mean, there's not regret. There's not, oh, this is awful. It's just the way they live. The way they live. We are living in a world that becomes stranger and stranger. And as you look at the world, and not just a radical, uh, violent a thing like that, an enmity like that. But as you look at the world, as you develop and mature in Christ, it will become more and more odd to you. Why people live like that? You're going to find yourself all the time going, why would anybody live like that? Because you, you're of a different citizenship. You're of a different household now. It's just going to look weird to you. So don't get discouraged in your everyday relationships. But rather, what you need is to draw with some people who will be also aligning their relationships with Jesus Christ. The Bible says it's very important not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but to to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And so therefore, it's very important that you get with some other Christians who also have it in their mind, it is essential for me that I align all of my relationships with Jesus Christ, with how Jesus Christ would want me to live out in these relationships, and that I have other people helping me do this. Now, I don't believe it's any accident that we're having home group Sunday this this or home group Wednesday this Wednesday. I didn't arrange for this message, but God certainly arranged for it to come the Sunday before the home group Wednesday, because that is the tool that we have put out for people to get in contact with other Christians. If you don't have a group like that, get in a group like that. You know, you go, oh, that's another night out of my week, you know. Well, you know what? I, re- I saw a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon one time. You like Calvin and Hobbes? Anybody read Calvin and Hobbes? I, I-, I like this one. Calvin was in, in one of his uncharacteristic uh, uh, times of regret. He was going around and he said, you know, I feel bad that I called Susie names. I, I made her cry and I'm sorry for that. And Hobbes, his tiger, says, well, why don't you apologize? And Calvin said, I was hoping for a less obvious solution. (laughs) You know what? If you want Christian relationships, go to a home group. 
That's an obvious solution. I know you're hoping for a less obvious solution. Maybe, maybe if you, maybe God will just dump it on you, you know. But now nah, this is the obvious solution. Go to a home group. Get in a home group. Get with other Christians who are aligning their lives with Jesus Christ, so they can look at you and say, you know what? You're not crazy. You're not crazy. That's essential. But here's the last point. Okay, here's the last point. It is important that you realize that the relationships have the character of Jesus Christ because those relationships you build in this world that are of this world are gone like that. But that the life that you live with Christians and the life that you live with the Lord God will go on for eternity. And so that's the character that the relationship needs to have. When I was going through the last of my... Um, elementary school career a, a new kid moved in and we did not hit it off I mean we did not hit it off both of us were strong and bullheaded and proud and, and we just went like this with each other and we were you know always trading threats and barbs and all of this kind of stuff this was in the day before guns and you know and and so we were in, we were in, uh, when we got in eighth grade, we were in this intramural basketball league in school. And I was mad anyhow, because I've never been able to do anything that required coordination. And basketball was one of those things, so I just looked like an idiot out there anyhow. And to make it worse, this guy was on the other team. And so we were under the basket, you know, and, you know, at, when you're in basketball, innuendo becomes a physical, literal thing, you know. You just bump each other, going like this, and, Coach Williams, who was the varsity basketball coach, saw us. He blew the whistle. He stopped everything. And he said, Hunter and Gillum, come over right here, right now. Oh, man, I started sweating bullets. Now, let me tell you why. Coach Gillum, or Coach uh, Williams, was, was, well, let me, let me give you a picture. He coached probably 15 or 20 years in Shelby, Ohio. And probably out of that time, only had one or two, maybe three winning seasons. Only when Larry Siegfried played ball at Shelby, Ohio, Larry went on to become uh, part of the Boston Celtics, did he have win- really winning seasons. He, I don't want to get too strong here, but probably stunk as a basketball coach. <laughs> How then, you ask yourself, could he coach the varsity basketball team for that long? I'm glad you asked. Coach was the most loving, caring, upright, inspirational man that you'd ever want to meet. He loved his boys. He loved all kids. And everybody looked up to him. And in those days, I guess, character was more important than winning. And because of the influence he had on all of those kids, he kept his job. Well, here this guy comes, who is a saint in my eyes, comes over and he says, Now, boys, I probably ought to let you go at it here. Just let you just fight it out. Now, neither of us wanted to do that very much, because it's not a lot of fun to bleed and puff up and all that kind of stuff. Not a lot of fun. And it was a lot more fun just acting like we wanted to than really doing it. So he paused just long enough to, to make us realize we really didn't want to do that. And, and sometimes God does that. He makes you pause just long enough to realize you really don't want to do that. 
But he said, I want you to look at me. So we both looked at him. He said, quit it. I don't want you to do that anymore. And that day, I stopped. Now, I don't know why Mike Gillum stopped. But I know why I stopped. And I didn't stop because all of a sudden, there was, my, my heart was filled with love for Mike Gillum. And I didn't stop all of a sudden because I lost my pride and my bullheadedness. My wife can tell you that. I stopped because I didn't want Coach Williams to think I was a jerk. I aligned myself with a person who was beyond me, who had my respect, and I would live my life until I met Christ for people like that. You have a father who's telling you, quit it. Quit your bickering. Quit your fussing with each other. Quit it. Live your life according to Jesus Christ. Pray with me. God, help us to get our perspective on heaven and to get out of this realm of pride and enmity and the chaos of trying to arrange relationships on the basis of our emotional needs. Help us, Lord God, to arrange them out of a result of being saved and out of a result of being made like Jesus Christ. We pray in His name. Amen.